Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Did you bring the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with you tonight? And you love God's Word? And you embrace it in your heart, in your mind? The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Someone somewhere said, His words were found, and I did eat them, and they were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Someone else said, I consider it more than my necessary bread. Those are attitudes that people have toward the Word of God. And you know what? Did you ever hear this statement? Your attitude toward the Word of God will determine the place that God holds in your life. Did you hear that? Did that sink in? Your attitude toward the Word of God will determine the place that God holds in your life. And if you have a nonchalant attitude toward the Word of God, God's going to hold a nonchalant place in your life. But I'm telling you, if you love the Word more than your necessary bread, God's going to hold a bigger part and place in your life than you can ever imagine. Amen. 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 We've headed into another year, and I'll tell you something right now, the glory of this year is going to be greater than the glory of last year. I'm talking about greater glory, greater workings of God, greater demonstrations of His power and might. You believe that tonight? Hold that Bible up to heaven, if you would, please, and say, God, you said it. That settles it, and I declare it. I am what this Word says I am. I have what this Word says I have. I can and will do what this Word says I can and will do. In Jesus' name, amen. That says it all, doesn't it? Praise God Almighty. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 2, if you would, please. John's Gospel, chapter 2. I am excited about what God is doing in every life. I'm excited about what He is doing in the earth. I'm excited about what He is doing here, in this place, in this valley, and throughout this land, throughout all the regions of the world. I thank God for doing what He's doing, and He's doing great and mighty things. The question is, do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be a part of it? Is that your heart's desire? Or are you playing church? Are you playing religious games with God? You really want to be a part of the work of God in these last days? You want to take your place and become productive in the things of God? You want to walk with Him like you've never walked with Him before and experience His power like never before? Is that your longing desire and the desire of your heart? Well, praise God. Let's get with it. Let's get busy with God. Amen? John's Gospel, chapter 2, really, if you read verses 1 through 11, it talks about in these verses the first miracle that Jesus ever did in his public life and ministry. Let's begin at verse 1, the third day. There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto him, Unto the servants, rather, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. We better stop over that verse again. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Did you hear that? Whatever he says, do it. I like that. I'm going to put that, frame it in my office, right behind my, behind me, on the wall where everybody can see it who's on the other side. And when they say, what do you want me to do? I say, well, whatever he saith unto you, do it. 
Well, what did he say? Then I say, well, now we've got a beginning right here. You want to know what he said? Let's find out what he said. And then what's the next step? Do it. You want to give birth to a miracle? Do it. Amen? Really, that's the model we should, we should have. Do it. I do what God says to do. And I'll tell you what, I have power with God. See, that's really the bottom line of it all. Do it. That's the key to it all. Do it. And that's what she said. Whatever he says, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim and he saith unto them, draw out now and bear into the governor of the feast and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good one till now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Amen. You realize the, the ministry of Jesus was a ministry of miracles? You realize the life of Jesus was a life of miracles? You think about his conception, you think about his birth, you think about his life and ministry, you think about his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and also his appearances afterward. Nothing but miracles. Full of miracles. You know, Christianity is not just religion. Christianity is a miracle. But before I expound on that for a moment, I want you to turn to John's Gospel at the end of the gospel and look at chapter 20 and also chapter 21 John 20 and verse 30 the life of Christ was miraculous there was nothing religious about Jesus Jesus walked in the reality of God's power of God's compassion of the very life of God for he was God manifest in the flesh he was the word made flesh and everything he did, he did because of the life that was in him. And the result of that was the miraculous. In John 20, in verse, look at verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. I like that right there. In the presence of of his disciples which are not written in this book I can't even begin to imagine all of what they saw many other things Jesus did that aren't recorded but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name skip over to chapter 21 verse 25 and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I want to strike our thinking tonight. I want to do my best by the power of the Holy Ghost to separate us from religious thinking. And get us hooked up 
with the reality that there is in Jesus Christ and what it truly means to be a Christian, a child of God. When Jesus was on this earth in the presence of his disciples, he did so much more that the world couldn't contain the books if detailed information was given about the events. That's mind-staggering, isn't it? It's mind-boggling. Because just what we have read about, the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the maimed to be made whole, that means severed body parts were restored. The ear, the right ear of the, of the man that went out to arrest Jesus was recreated. Leprosy. Conditions where the body was eaten away through the disease. Bodies brought back to wholeness once again. These things took place right before their very eyes. They saw noses created where there were no noses. It was eaten away from leprosy. Fingertips that were eaten away were brought back to wholeness once again. Sores, open wounds where the flesh was eaten away once again restored to wholeness. All these things occurred right there in front of their eyes. And as he said, if everything was written, you couldn't possibly handle it. The world couldn't handle it. Can you imagine the magnitude of miracles Jesus did when he walked upon the earth? Now, these are recorded in verse 31 of chapter 20 so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life through his name. I want you to see how important that verse is. Go back over there, John 20, 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. These things were recorded so that people would separate themselves from idols to serve the living God. Jesus demonstrated the mighty power of God as he was anointed of the Holy Ghost and power to separate lost humanity from their idols and false gods to serve the living God. Miracles were demonstrations of God's power in this realm in which man lives so that men would know that there is a living God who desires to be a part of human lives. Christianity, beloved, is a miraculous work of God in the life of a human being. The church in its inception was not a religious organization at all. The church began as a ministry of miracles. You go to Acts chapter 1, right here, and you begin to see unfold before your very eyes that the church, or Pentecost itself, from the time of Pentecost right on through the end of the book of Acts and continues, it should continue to be, was nothing but a stream of miracles flowing from the hands of the apostles and others who would dare believe that Jesus indeed was the Christ resurrected from the dead. With such staggering faith that it absolutely upset the very foundation of the religious order and systems of the day. Beloved, 
Christianity is more than religion. Christianity is miracle life and its impartation into human life. And beloved, the effects of that, I believe we have yet begun to unfold. Even recognize. I believe that so much of the time we are so consumed with this lower life that we have yet to give place or give birth to or freedom to the very life of God that is in us. And I know the Holy Ghost is just tapping me on the shoulder and saying it's time to unleash. It's time to release. Not just from one person, but the whole church. It's time to release that very river of life that God has imparted to us. It's time for the scriptures to be fulfilled that says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of life-giving, life-changing water. That which will continue the works of Jesus. That which will transform human lives. That which will give place to that which separates the ungodly from their false gods and images and draws them nigh unto the living God. It's time for a lost world to be evangelized in such a way. In Acts chapter 4, I want to show you what the early church had knowledge of. The early church had a revelation of the power there was in the name of the resurrected Christ. As long as they walked with him, they enjoyed dominion. But now that he had gone, it was up the, to them to do their part, to enter into that same dominion and power that they experienced while he was here upon this earth. He gave them instruction as to how they could tap into that power, and we'll get to that in a moment. But look at what they discovered. In Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, now they refers to the, the high priest Caiaphas and uh, John and Alexander and these others that were leaders and priests and all that. They were against Peter and John because of the healing that took place in the man who was lame, who had never walked, at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. And they inquired as to how this was done. By what power or name did they do this or perform this miracle of healing? Then Peter in verse 8, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. 
neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. They discovered that the name of the one whom God raised from the dead had the same power in it yielded by the one who walked on the earth before his death, burial, and resurrection. They discovered that there is awesome power in the name of Jesus. They honored it. They reverenced it. They respected it. They had daring and bold faith in its use in their lives. It was a church of miracles, a people that knew the power of the name. They were those who expected the same miraculous occurrences to take place through their lives as did through his life when he was here on the earth as the direct result of the power that was in his name. They took no credit for themselves. It was just an understanding of the power that was in that name. That name to them was as if Jesus was on the scene. It was not misused or abused. It was used properly. And in his name, he was alive again. Did you hear that? In his name, he was alive again. That's how it was to them. In his name, he was alive. And they used the power of that name to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cause the blind to see and the deaf to hear, demons to tremble, powers to be broken and cast out. Saints, true Christianity is not a religion. Religion is only a form, a ceremonial observance, a practice of rituals and the like. Christianity is life. Christianity is God's life imparted to a human spirit. The word for life in the Greek is zoe, Z-O-E, and it means the life of God or life as God has it. God did not give us his life to play church. God did not give us his life so that we can experience ceremonial rituals. He gave us his life so that we might impact the world with it. So that we would be used of Him to separate the ungodly from their idols, even from themselves, their own flesh. True Christianity is the heart and nature of Jesus Christ in the human life. Manifested in individuals 
just like all of us here. That's what it is. For we have been made partakers of the divine nature of God. I want to repeat that. Christianity is the very heart and life of Jesus manifested in us. That's what it is. And that, my friend, is a miracle. The miracle of God's life transforming ours. We're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. We belong to God. He has moved in, lock, stock, and barrel. He's in us, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, if you're spirit-filled. You know, we have to be reminded of this constantly. Christianity is a miracle. It is miracle life in the human heart. Now, I want you to turn with me to a verse in John's Gospel, chapter 14, because Jesus was setting... a precedent for his followers. This is what he wanted to make clear to each and every one of them. He was stating, I'm not coming to set up a new religious order. I'm not coming so that you can work more works or manufacture more rituals or list Ten more commandments. Or follow. Twenty more observances. I have come to fulfill the law. I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. I have come to remove the darkness and give you light. I have come to offer you the higher life. I don't know if your heart can grasp this now. In John 14, he was preparing them for this statement. He starts by telling them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go you know, and, and the way you know. And of course, Thomas says unto him, Lord, we know. How are we going to know where you're going? We don't know the way. How can we know the way? And Jesus and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. And of course, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and I'll be satisfied. And Jesus, I'm sure, with a sigh said, Have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me 
for the very work's sake. Oh, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the demonstrations that you saw me do before your very eyes. Believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Verily, verily, I say unto you. The works that I do shall ye do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I am going unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Can you imagine how they must have sat there in awe of those very words he spoke? I'm not giving you some rules to follow. I'm not leaving you a list of demands. I'm not creating new rituals. I am imparting to you the very life of God that you have seen in me. My Father and I are one. Believe that I'm in Him and that He is in me and we are one. And if you don't believe the word I speak, believe the works you saw. And now I'm telling you, the day will come when that same life that you have seen in me and the effect of that life that you have seen in the earth will manifest in and through you. Believe me. That's what he's telling his disciples. Believe me. In other words, Christianity is going to be miracle life. The very heart and life of Jesus Christ Manifest in individuals, fishermen, doctors, lawyers, tax collectors, accountants, steel workers, radio broadcasters, news reporters, professors, hospital workers. The very life of the living God will be imparted to human beings common people and for what reason to show forth the same glory of God that Jesus did when he walked the earth why to separate the ungodly from their false gods you know what God wants that in the forefront of our minds you know why he wants you to be a living epistle? You know why he wants you to be a living powerhouse for God? Because everyone you come into contact with, he desires to separate from their false gods and idols. And he's willing to work a miracle through you to do it. I have a burning desire, a yearning in my heart like never before to evangelize our communities around us. And I'm going to tell you something right, else right now, beloved. We're not going to win people that are bound up by religious spirits with oratorical skills. 
We're not going to win them over by placing before them some more doctrines. We are only going to touch these people's lives through signs, wonders, and miracles and manifestations of Holy Ghost power. We might as well get to that place of understanding. The early church set the pattern for us. It's not going to happen because of ecclesiastical indoctrination. It's not going to happen because of prolific oratorical skills. It's not going to happen because we set up some new laws with which to abide. It's not going to happen like some say through education. Education is the power of the hour. No. I want to remind you of something. Go back with me to 1 Kings 18, if you would, please. If you'll really consider this, you'll see it's true that God's dealings with men from the Old Testament through the New involved miracles, signs, and wonders, and demonstrations. God working with men for what reason? To separate the ungodly from their idols or their false gods. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we have a record of this. <clears throat> I believe that God has always desired to work through people's lives, His wonders to perform, don't you? And beloved, I believe we're living at a time right now that really gives us this greater opportunity to have that happen because we are Holy Ghost-filled people. And you know, God wants to stir us up in such a way that we begin to set aside the things of the lower life and strive for the things of the higher life, the petty things that short-circuit the power of the living God from our lives. I want, I want to take us there, saints. By the power of God, we'll get there. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? I want to be recognized as one who troubles the devil. I want to give him a headache every morning. And not just a headache, a migraine. What about you? I want him to say when I wake up in the morning, uh-oh, he's up again. What about you? Are you the one that's troubling Israel in their backslidden state? Why don't you leave us all alone? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and prophets and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. 
So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. I'm not going to go through the story. If you don't know it, read it for yourself. Pick it up at verse 36. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. I want you to see that part right there. You've turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said the lord he is the god the lord he is the god beloved i don't know about you but i know about me and i'm looking for some fire to fall i'm looking for the fire to fall to burn up the religious traditions that is so ingrained in the hearts and minds of people that really want to serve God. I was there before. I was there before. Were you? Very religious. Reared up in an environment of religion. I wanted to go to heaven, but I was lost as lost can be. I was lost as the most vile sinner, murderer, criminal, whatever. But one day the light came, and I thank God for the light. But you know what? Beloved, there are people all around us in our communities, all around us, and these people are bound up by religious spirits. They believe their salvation comes through works. There are those that think education has taken place of the power of God, replaced it that the church no longer needs the supernatural power of God. Some think that as long as you give them what they want to hear and bring them into your church and maybe have them go through a water baptism, they're okay. The seminaries are becoming more lax, teaching things that really go against the Word of God. Men are standing behind pulpits Telling them it's okay to live a certain lifestyle, even if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. We have to accept all people the way they are. For God made them that way. Excuse me, I think it was the devil. You're misunderstanding here what's really happening out there. God didn't make them that way. The devil put those thoughts in their minds. You see where the enemy is working, targeting, 
the lives of people that seem to be so pious, well-educated, and religious, and well-informed, apprised of the philosophical ideas of the day. So God's got to go pick out some fishermen, some mill crane operators, fill them with the Word, fill them with the Holy Ghost, and then give them a place to proclaim the truth. He'll choose the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. Because the truth is not going forth. God wants miracle workers today in the earth. And he wants those miracle workers to tell all believers that they too are miracle workers. You've got miracle life on the inside of you. Don't tell me you can't overcome that. You've got miracle life on the inside of you. It's called lay down the lower life for the higher life. That's what it's called. Don't tell me you can't free yourself from sexual immorality, homosexuality, lesbianism, and the like. You've just been told you're a-okay with God doing your own thing. So you figure, why should I? You know why you better should? Because how long will you halt between two opinions? You serving the God of the flesh or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that raised him from the dead? I don't know why we got off on this, but I'm staying with it. The fire came down. I'm looking for the fire to fall. Men don't want to hear what you have to say. They want to see what you have. They want to see a living God at work through someone's life. Do you see it separated these backsliders from their Baal worship? How are we going to get people separated from their false God worship? Oh, we're going to have some campaigns and programs. We're going to put together some nice ideas. and No, you better start calling fire out of heaven. Come on. We better start believing God for the fire to fall. That's the way it happened back then. And you know what? That's how it happened on the day of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, Judaism was still Judaism. Religion was still religion. And they were afraid to be among them. But when the fire fell, the people of God were filled with the very power of the living God. And fearlessly and with great boldness, they began to proclaim the truth. Shook Judaism to its foundation. Blew apart religion. What did he do here? You realize all those prophets of Baal began to cut themselves. They began to humiliate themselves. Cry out, bleed deny themselves and all that they went through for a false God who had no ears to hear, no eyes to see, no mouth to communicate, right? That's what they did. Got no response. They were going through all their religious traditions. They were following all their religious ideas, all their ceremonial you know, observations and all that. And I'm sure there was somebody that had 57-cent words. Notice I've increased it to 57-cent words. 57-cent words. Inflation. And 
they began to speak out and spew out these wonderful words with oratorical skills and all that, and nothing happened. Then old Elijah says, You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel. Let them know that you're God. Let the fire fall. And the fire fell. And when they saw, they said, Thou art God. Thou art God. And they bowed down to God. We need some of that fire to fall. I'm talking about around religious folk. You know religious people are, are hard to get to. Well, we've got to get the fire to fall because there's nothing else we're going to do. We can't cut it. I'll tell you something right now. I want you to see something that God abhors. Look at Second Timothy chapter 3. I'll just take a few more moments of your time this evening. I don't know. Something fell on me, I'll tell you right now. Something good. And I just got this stirring on the inside of me that says, you know what, God? You're God. You better start doing something. You better start doing something. You want them to know you're God? You better start showing up on the scene. You better start manifesting your power. You better start manifesting your glory. You better start working signs, wonders, miracles, and demonstrations of who you are. Right here in the midst of us in the United States of America, in Industry, Pennsylvania, Ohioville, Borough. It's time for you to do your part. Can you say amen, saint of God? We've got all kind of religious folk all around us, and we've been told, we've been told, we've been told by the best of them in the church world today that the Pittsburgh area and the New England states and all that worst place to preach the gospel. How would you like to be a young individual in the Lord, just got saved not too many years back, three years in the Lord, God sends you out and says, I want you to go preach in the hardest place to preach in the United States of America. Yeah, whoopee, yay. Amen. Happy am I, right? I mean, you hear guys like Kenneth Copeland saying this, Kenneth Hagin saying this, and you know all these others way back when, 17 years ago, that this is the most difficult place. And what, what have they done? No, I don't say this in any derogatory way. I do pray you understand that. They've left the job to others. They packed their bags and start, held their meetings elsewhere. Okay. And I'm thinking, why, Lord? Think about that for a while. Nations have never been rescued from their sins by philosophical oratory. Nations have never recovered from their immoral state, ungodly state, through medical missions. I'll tell you what, ecclesiastical indoctrination hasn't done it. But humble men and women who have had a new vision of living Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, have made an impact on lives that has changed nations. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, we are told by the Holy Ghost a time would come when people would have a form of godliness but denying the power. Ooh, I cringe at that. You know what I cringe at? The thought that we could be among those. Don't look at me like that. Oh, come on now. You could, uh, come on. Understand with me. You, you can just say, oh, we love you, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you for the Holy Ghost and power. And then take this Bible, you know, go on home, sit it down. You know, start chewing out your wife, chewing out your kids. Lying about this, cheating about on that. And th Come on. Well, yeah, but you understand, we go to church three times a week and carry our Bible. You mean to tell me the gospel has no power to change a life? 
Is that what we're supposed to believe? The power of the gospel changes human hearts. It makes people act like God. And this excuse, well, you know, it's just me and my upbringing. Wait a minute. You began when you made him your Savior. He gave you a brand new heart. He gave you a brand new life. You've got to change your mindset and begin thinking like God thinks, acting like God acts, and knowing that God on the inside of you is greater than anything you've ever encountered in your life. You've met the Master. God's fire has fallen upon you. Deny yourself the lower life. Don't be among those that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. It's the power of God that changes lives. lives. It's the power of God that evangelizes nations. It's the power of God that's going to get the work done in this generation. And beloved, I'll give you another verse to show that. Look at Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, this is how Jesus wants us to be. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Midland. Uh, I'm sorry. Philip went down to the city of Beaver. Philip went down to the city of East Liverpool, Manaka, Rochester. And preached Christ unto them in Beaver Falls. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. He just evangelized the city. He didn't go there with his oratorical skills. He didn't go there with ecclesiastical indoctrination. He did not go there with ceremonial observances. He went there in the power of of the Spirit. And beloved, we are going to focus on having faith in the Spirit to produce miracles, signs, and wonders in our generation. We're not satisfied with talking about it. It's time for the performance thereof. Are you with me? Are you willing to lay down the lower life to gain the higher? Are you wanting to be a part of this greater work of God and His greater glory? Well, then, I'll tell you what. Together, we are going to have a work of God that I believe will free us from the blood of men that are out there who don't want to hear it. But that freedom won't come until we've done all that we can to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every real spiritual awakening, beloved, has, been att has attested to the dynamic power of God. Every one. Every single one. Not one work was without power. It's the power that always captured the attention. It's the fire that would fall that brought the people in. 
the demonstrations, the signs, the wonders, and the miracles. And are we different than any other generation? Beloved, dead orthodoxy has no resurrection power in it. We're not dead. We are alive. And it's time to take our place and show forth the miracle power of God. Would you mind stepping forward to this altar with me tonight, please? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.